what is tactical empathy? Welcome to my series called Think Like a Designer. This is the Creativity Cure podcast with your host, Bethany Joy. Welcome to the Creativity Cure. My name is Bethany Joy and I am the owner of Bethany J Photography. I'm an artist um, in Maryland. I help women cultivate the skill of creativity. Um, that's what this podcast is all about. I share how a lot of the skills I've gained as an artist are applicable to all areas of life. And so I love taking these concepts I've learned as a designer, as an artist, and translating them into helpful things we can learn about everyday life. One of the big reasons I started this podcast was because I wanted to democratize design. I have seen the power of good design and how it really is paramount to the life we live. Um, We don't really think about good design because good design is not visible. Good design is functional and it is, good design is functional. Um, We don't really think about good design many times because it's working how it should be. Um, But there is a skill you can learn At the root of good design is problem solving. And so with this series, I'm sharing about a process that designers use to create products called design thinking. Um, So design thinking is used to make products quickly and it is a process that's nonlinear, but it has specific steps that help you to create a product that actually meets the needs of a user. The processes for design thinking are to empathize, to define, to ideate, to prototype, and then to test. So we talked, we, we're, so we're starting with empathy. And last week we talked about something called self-empathy, but I said self-compassion. I thought that made more sense. This week we're going to wrap up empathy by talking about tactical empathy. We're taking empathy from inward outward. Before a designer sets out to create a product, they need to practice empathy, right? This isn't about feeling sorry or pity for someone. It's a skill and a practice that drives product design by the fundamental understanding that to create a successful product, you have to make something people actually want and need. And the best way to figure out what people actually want and need outside of observing is to ask them questions, to engage them and to get their thoughts. So how can we practice empathy? You know, it's easier said than done because everybody has their own idea of what empathy means. Everybody has limits to how far they will go to understanding someone before they're just like, listen, uh, everybody has their limit to how far they're gonna go with understanding someone. Um, and my goal is to convince you that when, when you can and when you may want to give up on certain situations, that engaging in empathy can be a powerful tool to have to actually br- bring about the creative solutions you're looking for. Empathy really is about how we learn to appreciate the originality of others and along the way create better relationships without changing for integrity. The values that I have for Bethany J Photography, my artist practice, are number one, I craft with quality. Number two, 
um, I celebrate originality. And number three, I'm connected to community. And I believe that when I aim to do those three things, that I will invite a community who is seen and celebrated through their individuality, but also when we come together, we thrive, we can build off each other and learn off each other. Speaking of empathy, um, I want to invite you to check out bethanyjphotography.com. I create one-of-a-kind portraits that help you to be seen and celebrated. Um, I love creating these original pieces that vary for each person because I think that each person's unique. So I bring a very specific, organic, vibrant style. I like to use a little touch of luxury when I can. And I want to invite you to check out my work at bethanyjphotography.com. Speaking of being seen and celebrated, I also have a newsletter that goes out each week. Each week, I celebrate a woman in Maryland who is creative, whether it's through her business, whether it's just through her life, whatever her story is, I share it. Uh, I believe that women are dynamic and that it's really good to know that right where you're at, right in Maryland, we have some really awesome women doing good work. So if you want to check the newsletter out, go to bethanyjphotography.com. Mm. I'm going to be looking at a lot of notes today because... I want to give you good information, and when I'm not a professional or expert in a topic, I like to go and look at other experts' information, and I don't want to um, mince that up for you. So, if you see me looking at my screen, those of you watching on YouTube, that's what I'm doing. So today, um, back to empathy, I wanted to better understand empathy, and I decided to read a book called Never Split the Difference. Uh, I believe it is written by Chris Voss. I will have to verify that because I mix up names, but <laughs> it's written by Chris Voss. And this book um, discusses empathy and negotiation. In fact, empathy is the backbone of negotiation because to come to a solution, you need the other person to fully be there and cooperative. So this idea of engaging in empathy first to invite someone's creativity, to invite them back to a safe place, allows them to be in the problem-solving mood, whereas when we don't feel listened to, we don't feel heard, we tend to be very oppositional. So he calls this whole concept, uh, he says, this is listening as a martial art Balancing the subtle behaviors of emotional intelligence and the assertive skills of influence to gain access to the mind of another person. Not in a passive way. It's the most active thing you can do. Um, and he also calls this whole concept tactical empathy. So empathy, empathy comes down to the skill of listening. And I will be the first to admit this is one of the things that I really, really have to work on. I get really excited or interested or stuck on my point of view and I interrupt or talk over people. And it's really hard for me to learn to listen. And that many times when I want someone to understand me or I want to know what they think, if I could listen more, then I actually will hear what they think because they'll tell me. I heard a quote once say that if you let people 
talk long enough, they'll solve their own problems. And I think that's true. Sometimes you just need to process out loud. And so many times I want to jump to give advice or give an idea because it helped me so much and I just wanted to help them. But sometimes people really just need you to listen as they process their thoughts and sort out their problems. Tactical empathy, right? We're not talking about manipulating people to get what we want. We're talking about genuinely inviting them back to solving the problem by hearing them out and understanding where they come from. So Voss says that information gathering and behavior influencing includes almost any interaction where each party wants something from the other side. That's your career, your finances, your reputation, your love life, even the fate of your kids at some point. All of these hinge on your ability to negotiate. Negotiation, as you'll learn it here, is nothing more than communication with results. Getting what you want out of life is all about getting what you want from and with other people. Conflict between two parties is inevitable in all relationships, so it's useful and crucial even to know how to engage in that conflict to get what you want without inflicting damage. I like what he said there. Um, he, he was a negotiator with like terrorists and hostage situations, and so he had to empathize with some people who we would all write off as like you're crazy you're violent nobody should talk to you but for the sake of the lives of the people that they were threatening to kill he needed to engage in empathy he needed to listen to them and I think what amazed me reading Never Spoke a Difference was that this man was able to get kidnappers and terrorists to come to a reasonable agreement just by listening to them. And if that doesn't show you the power of empathy, I don't know what will. Um, So the goal is to identify what your counterparts need and to get them feeling safe enough to talk and talk and talk more about what they want. So in episode four of this podcast, we discuss why you need to show up honestly to be truly known. When engaging with others, we want to create an environment where people feel able to be transparent and from there we can work to come to a solution when we're in conflict without losing our integrity meaning like without crossing our own boundaries and the things we believe is important Um, and empathy is the basis for negotiation and negotiation in our case is going to be an invitation for someone to use their creativity to solve problems with us um And so really this episode is about people who are probably like me. I want to shift your paradigm from seeing listening as being passive, from seeing the more you talk, the more you convince somebody to learning that listening really is a life skill that can change how you work with people. So there's a quote in a book and it says that he who has learned to disagree without being disagreeable has discovered the most valuable secret of negotiation. So I like that quote because we're all going to come to a moment of disagreement with everybody we know at some point. And I think that we can learn to disagree without being disagreeable. 
And we don't have to go into combative mode to negotiate or discuss things that we want and work with the person to get a balance or to meet them in the middle, um, to understand them or to, to move into a better place. And I think for a long time, that's what I thought. It's like, if you're going to be disagree, you have to be disagreeable. You have to resort to yelling. You have to resort to insults. You have to resort to silent treatments. But I learned by reading this book, that's not true. You can disagree. You can hold what you believe, what you want to stand on, but you don't have to push the other person into combative mode. You can actually invite them into creative thinking mode. Back to the book. Voss talks about how the listener has more control in a situation if he's trained well. He harnesses the talker's energy for his own ends. They're not about strong arming your opponent into submission. Rather, you're using your counterpart's power to get your objective, their listener's judo. So this intro, chapter intro, was uh, about, you know, learning the skill of negotiation. And I think what I really did like about reading this book is that Voss is constantly emphasizing that he's not trying to manipulate people to fulfill his personal goal, but he's inviting creative strategy. He's inviting creative strategy to achieve goals. Um, And he's encouraging people to understand that you may be like, I don't want to learn to negotiate or I don't want to push people to do what they don't want. He's like, if you're thinking like that, most likely someone is using those skills on you. Um, Most likely there are people who are negotiating with you to get you to achieve their goals. And because you're not aware, you might just be giving in to things you don't want to give into. And so this is a bit of like, you know, I guess I would say it's a little bit of an offensive strategy. And um, I think that, um, I think that that's okay. I think that if you're going to engage with people and work with people, especially I think if you're building something that is unique to you, let's say you have a business that you're working on or a project you're working on and there are integral parts of it that make it important to you. You don't want to just negotiate away those integral parts of your project to please people. So I love how it's not just pity and let me just give up what I believe in order to appease someone else. It's learning how to meet the person where they are, make them feel heard and listened to, and also find out really where you two can meet um, in terms of achieving the goal or solving the problem. I want to just bring it back to me. I like to use myself as an example because I don't I want to I don't want to put anybody else out there. I want to talk about the things that I need to work on and hopefully encourage someone else. So I am a problem solver. Um, I like action. I want to do something or say something or find a solution, you know? So when someone shares a problem with me, I bubble up on the inside with all of the things that have worked for me, knowing it'll work for them if they'll just do it. And my mode of motivation many times is, did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? Did you download the app I gave you yet? Did you call this person? And um, I can go overboard on advice 
because I want to see the person win. Like I want them to experience the breakthrough they're looking for. Um, and <clears throat> while I am encouraging them to do that, I often forget that there are a lot of goals I myself have that I've been motivated on for years, but haven't moved on. And people have tried to encourage me, like, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? And I've dragged my own feet achieving them. And so I wanted to empathize for a moment with those I'm trying to motivate by looking at the reasons why I may not move forward in my own motivational goals. So another book I'm reading currently is The Personal MBA. Um, and in The Personal MBA, it's got great a great like synopsis of skills you need to run a business, but I particularly loved the section about psychology. Um, the author in The Personal MBA talks about how you can break down motivation into two basic desires, moving toward things that are desirable and moving away from, from things that aren't. Things that fulfill our core human drives appear desirable, so we experience an impulse toward them. And things that appear dangerous, scary, or threatening are undesirable, so we have an impulse to move away from them. He says that motivation is an emotion and it's not logical. It's not a rational activity. Just because your forebrain thinks you should be motivated to do something does not mean you'll become motivated to do the thing. So very often, he says, mental stimulations, patterns, conflicts, and interpretations are hidden in the midbrain and they can get in the way of making progress toward what we want to accomplish. As long as there are move away from signals being sent, you'll have a hard time feeling motivated to move toward what you want. So he says, in the same way, you can't motivate other people by yelling at them to work faster, like a drill sergeant. Um, you can't motivate them to comply um, by threatening them. You just might get a temporary compliance that really, um, hold on. You'll get temporary compliance, but as soon as they can, they're going to move away from you. But what you can do is eliminate inner conflicts that propel you to move away from your potential threats. And you'll find yourself experiencing a feeling of motivation to move toward what you want. So I read this to say that when we are combating with people, when we are trying to force them um, to do what we want, when we are demanding of them, to do what we want. We are not, we're, we're not helping them resolve inner conflicts. We're not really understanding why they may not want to do things or why they, they aren't motivated. We're just pushing them to move away from the situation. But when we listen to others, we invite them to work through those inner conflicts out loud, sometimes, maybe internal. We just give them the space to do that. And with empathy, when they understand that, okay, you're not here to just combat me, you're not just here to strong arm me, we become, um, we invite a environment where people can be creative and problem solve, and they become motivated to solve the problem that we both need to solve. So that's a lot, right? That's a lot I just read. That's a lot that I just read. And so I want to take these ideas I've been talking about and 
pull them into practical application. So practically, how can we empathize with others and invite the spirit of creativity when it comes to conflict and solving problems, when it comes to having to work on projects together, when it comes to needing to have better unity in our households? How can we invite creativity and invite their problem solving so that instead of fighting each other, we're working together. So I'm gonna go back to Never Split the Difference where Voss gave great practical ways that we can use listening and empathy. Um, And after each point here, I have um, added my own thoughts to it because I didn't want to just read the quotes I wanted to make sure that I put a unique spin on it for you guys so the first thing that Voss says um, he calls it listeners judo which is fun you should really go read the book um, don't try and force your opponent to admit that you are right aggressive confrontation is the enemy of constructive negotiation so you're going to face someone you clash with and you're gonna need to collaborate. Um, I feel like this really is seen in the work environment. Um, You're gonna have to collaborate with people who maybe you personally wouldn't work with, but you don't really have a choice. Or I feel like, especially in the design world, you work with clients and you don't always have a choice to work with them the way you would like. So it becomes a necessary skill to figure out how you can come to an agreement when you don't agree. And so he says to avoid the power struggle by forcing them to admit you're right. You might get a verbal yes, but it's most likely just to appease you. You don't want a fake commitment, you want an authentic yes. Um, So why I like this is because I've worked with design for years. And sometimes when, you know, I might have an idea and I present it to the client, they, especially if they're not really sure about their own design opinions, they might kind of give me like a, "Mm, yeah, that looks good. And I can take the word of them saying, yeah, that looks good as, okay, let's move forward. But many times if I watch their reaction, I see the hesitancy. And that's when instead of jumping forward with the idea I like, I need to stop. And instead of just being like, yeah, I know I'm right. I know this design looks good. Let me figure out what what's unsettling about it for them. Why aren't they 100% giving me a yes? And so stopping, even when you feel like you have a yes from somebody, but their actions don't match that, they kind of give you a, mm, okay, it's not an enthusiastic yes. Help them by asking them why that is. What is the inner conflict that they're thinking about in their mind? And if you can identify that, maybe you are right, but they now see it. Or maybe there's a little bit of change that needs to happen and you can help them feel fully assured by identifying that. So when you are trying to engage in empathy and you're trying to engage in problem solving with others, right? Again, inviting creativity. Avoid questions that can be answered with yes or tiny pieces of information. This is another quote from the book. These require little thought and inspire the human need for reciprocity. So he says, avoid questions that can be answered with yes or tiny pieces of information. You want to invite somebody to share information 
um, not interrogate somebody into giving up information. Think about an, an interrogation when you're asking, um, like you're asking your collaborator, but you're sounding accusatory. Um, let's say you both had deadlines and let's say they, maybe they're working slower than you think they should. If you go to them and you say like, um, you were supposed to have this done yesterday, what's taking so long? You're probably going to get a very pushback answer because they're going to immediately be defensive. Um, you could also go to them and say like, um, how, how, um, how can I help you finish for the deadline? Or like, could you share with me um, your process towards meeting the deadline? And then in that way, you're inviting them to solve the problem of getting the work done, but you're also not immediately putting them into interrogator mode. You want them to collaborate. So one of the things he said is like, you know, let's say that there is a deadline that someone needs to meet and they're giving a lot of pushback on it. Show them that you hear them by first, you know, empathizing and saying like, I know what it's like to have more work than you expected or for things to take longer than you thought. And with that invitation, they're not realizing they don't have to defend themselves and then ask and, and find out like, okay, you know, how, how can you share with me how you're going to meet the deadline? Or can you share with me the steps that it's going to take for you to meet the deadline so I can better understand where you're coming from? Um, and that way you create a completely different environment for that person and for yourself. Another thing that he says to do is to practice empathy. We can ask calibrated questions that start with how or what. I just did an example of that. Um, by implicitly asking the other party for help, um, they will give the other person a feeling of control. So when someone feels like they are in control, um, they feel more at ease to speak and share. Um, so this book was focused on negotiation, so it's very much about kind of going in with strategy, especially at like in a business sense. But I'm really focusing on ownership of our lives um, and our responsibilities. So what I took from this part where he's saying like, um, ask the party for help and it gives them the feeling of control. I think that if we learn to be confident in what we need in a situation where we need the creativity of others to solve our problems, we want them to feel safe. And unpredictability invites fear, but if your collaborator feels a sense of control, they can engage fully with themselves. So it's a really easy thing to do. Use how or what and avoid questions like why. And that's a huge thing he goes over in the book. Why sounds interrogated and it sounds accusatory. Instead, stick with how or what? Um, so, so he goes at length about how why is a really aggressive way to get answers. And that it, it just immediately triggers a lot of people. So like you may really mean no harm by saying like, why do you want to do that? Or why are you thinking of doing that way? It's probably not going to be received as empathetic. It's not being received as you're trying to understand them. If you want to invite that creative spirit into what you're doing, stick with how. Um, and I believe the other one was, doo -doo -doo. Oh, stick with how or what. So like I said earlier, 
how um, can you explain to me how you are finishing up the project um, what can I do to help make sure the project is done on time versus why are you so late getting the project to me you see the difference um, and so one of my favorite things that I've read in the book um, uh, that we can practically use every day is calibrate, um, did you, did you, was that it? Yeah, calibrate your questions. He says this again, but I loved that he says invite others to solve your problems. Now, the reason I think this is great, it's not about like, oh, let me just push off my responsibility onto other people. What I love about it is that often we need other people to accomplish our goals, but we try and do everything ourselves. And I don't know if you've ever been given like a fake job, you know, like someone gives you something just to keep you out of the way. I mean, people do it with the kids all the time. They're like, you know, here, like go ahead and like, I, my daughter has a little mini broom and I am like, here, just sweep over there so I can get the real work done. And as an adult, I am well aware when someone gives me like the busy work or the work that so I just feel important, you know, like a manager of the front desk. It makes me feel really silly. I, I can't stand it. So my thing is that um, oftentimes people want to be a part of the solution. They want to be wanted. They want their expertise to be asked for. And you can really improve your communication, learn about people by inviting them to solve your problem. Um, and so what I like to do when I feel like I have a question and I don't get clarity out. I'll, I'll say like, especially if I'm doing design and someone says, hey, I want a logo. And it's almost like they're leaving me to solve the problem, but I don't have all the information I need. I send it back to them and I invite them into the process. Hey, can you give me um, 10 words that describe the logo you're looking for? And until I get the answer I need, I keep asking them to solve the problem because the truth is they need to clarify what they want before I can deliver it. When I don't practice this, I design something for someone, say it's a logo, I give it to them and they say, hmm, something about the colors off. Ah, uh, could you make it a little bit bigger? Can we try this or that? And that ends up not really being beneficial because they're not being asked the right questions and I'm not giving them what they want. So I love when he says, invite other people to solve your problems. Um, this works well many times and I, I would invite you again read the book it gives way more detail than I am um so I am really starting to try and put into practice asking how and what so for example at home with my daughter <laughs> when she doesn't want to do this or that instead of saying like why would you make a mess I ask how can we clean up the mess <laughs> or instead of why are you doing that I ask, what can we do instead? So that's just a small example of how you can use these questions to engage. And I will say that now when I engage with her um, and try to understand her curiosity, I get much better results than when I'm like, why, why are you doing this? I still say why, but you know, that's, I feel like that's normal, but <laughs> I'm learning. That's my point. Um, so practically he says, bite your tongue 
when you're attacked in negotiation. Pause and avoid angry emotional reactions. Instead, ask your counterpart a calibrated question. Solve problems, not people. So unless you're a personal coach, solving people by forcing them to do what you want is exhausting and it's not productive. Um, so when we, un- when we have empathy and we understand other people's needs, we can, um, so e- when we have empathy and understand people's needs, even more so when they get angry and upset, um, we keep ourselves on course to solve the problem. And then that way we don't get drawn into someone else's side issue. So many times when someone gets angry, you know, if, I, if you've ever done customer service, you'll get angry customers and they will sometimes resort to name calling and yelling and they're trying to draw you in to feeling the way they feel. Uh, maybe they feel taken advantage of. Maybe they feel insulted. So they try and draw you in to feeling the same way. The truth is that I can't spend my whole day with you being upset, but I also don't want you to feel like you're not being heard. So what I can do is not fall into the same pattern of being angry and throwing insults. I can say, listen, I understand you're upset and I hear you. And I I mean, I've even had times people don't want to hear I'm sorry or apologies or excuses. They feel like they're being brushed off. But sometimes they want to hear, they just want to hear like, I hear you. I hear you. Okay, here's what we can do. And so, um, it's really tempting to want to go off on people, but you're just going to burn bridges and routinely burning bridges. I guess the, the way I like to think of it is this, the base level you set becomes your norm. And what I mean by that is if when you engage with conflict with people, you immediately go to 10, you're immediately cussing them out. You're immediately ready to fight. You're immediately talking about them. You're immediately getting messy. Like, if that's your base level, like, that's going to become your life. You're always going to have to be in that mode with people. Um, But if you are able to gain control yourself when people are angry towards you or act inappropriate or are yelling, then then you keep control of the situation and you don't have to let them affect your day just because they're upset. You know, it could be about something that has nothing to do with you. And that leads me into the next practical point where he says there's always another team on the other side. So he says, if you're not influencing those behind the table, you're vulnerable. And he is really talking about how in negotiation, there are always factors that you do not know about and they can make a big difference. And so I think for us, if we want to guide it towards creativity and empathy, I think it's really understanding that there are factors that have nothing to do with you. Sometimes people are having a bad day. Sometimes people have had traumas, triggers, and we can get dragged into these situations with them when we're trying to, I think, solve people, when we're trying to get them to do what we want. Um, But if we can take a moment and empathize, if we can listen to them, A, they might tell us what that thing is, or they might not. But at the very least, we're not, um, we can stay focused on problem solving instead of getting sidetracked. 
So a lot of times, it's like you said, people have struggles within themselves and they can take it out on others and they may have problems at home or they're overwhelmed. And sometimes if you hit a wall, you may need to empathize. Um, I know that there have been times where, you know, if I notice that my daughter's particularly irritable, my first thought is not like she just needs to listen to me right now. My first thought is almost always she's probably hungry. She's probably tired. And I think in other ways, it can be like that with people. Someone might be particularly nasty to you one day. If it's out of character, you know, there might be more to the story. And they, in the moment where you feel like you're losing control and you just want to let them have it, a little bit of empathy may disarm them and invite them to actually share a little bit of like, hey, what's going on? You're like, you're really pushing back on me on this point. Like, is there a particular reason? Again, calibrated questions. You know, I, I'm trying to work with you here. How can I understand where you're coming from? You know, what are you thinking right now? Like, what's going through your mind? Um, and I, I love just, I love the idea of even when other people are upset, you don't have to be. You can stay focused on the problem. You can keep your cool and that way your life is you're, you're controlling the things you can control instead of allowing other people to have a lot more say and how your day goes based on what they're dealing with you know what i'm saying so some other obvious tips he have he has are imagine yourself in your counterpart situation um the beauty of empathy is that it doesn't demand you agree with the other person i person's ideas this is in the book he said, you may well find them crazy, but by acknowledging the other person's situation, you immediately convey that you are listening. Inevitably, you will meet someone you don't understand. And I feel personally like this will happen at work. Um, this will happen with clients. This will happen when you leave your comfort zone, right? I think it can happen in your home as well, but you're not going to understand each other. And you can choose to welcome the other person back to communication by empathizing. And Chris, he like I said earlier, he negotiated with terrorists and, kidnap terrorists and kidnappers. He didn't start talking about, oh, yeah, I love killing people. Like, it's great. No, he empathized with the terrorists and said, like, you really wanted to defend your beliefs in your country. Or, you know, you're really just trying, like, I think there was a situation where, like, they had kidnapped somebody and they wanted some insane amount of money the family did not have and doing some research which is a great thing to do um he discovered that really they just use the money to go out and have a good time so he was able to empathize with them and just say like hey you want to go out and have a good time you're not going to get any money because you're asking for something unreasonable and though i don't think he even asked it like that he would always just say like how can i do that so like He's like, okay, you guys have kidnapped somebody and you want an insane amount of money. How can I give you the money if we don't have it? Like, how are you going to get your goal? And in doing that, he would actually get them to be like, huh, how am I going to do that? And so to me, that's just read the book. That's all I got to say. But um, so back to what I was saying is that you can imagine yourself in someone else's shoes, do research on it. He calls it field study. And you can understand, like, for example, with a manager or with um, a client, okay, they, they're not a designer. That's what I would think. They're not a designer. They don't understand what symbols mean. They just want to 
feel truly represented in their brand and maybe they're a bit nervous because this is their first time. I can put myself in their shoes and I can bring them back to being able to actually communicate with me rather than just like rejecting all the designs I send. You know what I'm saying? So, so far I have a lot, I got a whole bunch of um, uh, practical tips for this one. It was just too much good stuff. So you just have to replay this to really get it. So we just talked about field study, imagining yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, another thing he says is that the reason why counterpart won't make an agreement is usually more powerful than why they will. So you can focus first on clearing those barriers to agreement. So by avoiding the negative, you actually give more credence to it. That's what he says. Um, a quote I've also often heard is shame eats secrets for breakfast. And so the secrets are what drive otherwise rational people into survival mode. People don't want to lose. So one tactic he uses that I think is great is that he will actually name the thing people are afraid of. People are afraid of looking stupid or people are afraid of being taken advantage of. People might think you're a scam artist. So one tactic he says is like, call it out, you know, say like, hey, you must think I'm just trying to, to, you know, take advantage of you. You know, I understand where you're coming from, but that's not really what I'm going to trying to do here. And just by listening to them and naming those barriers that they may have, you are inviting them to get through those things in their head so that they can actually get to the problem solving part of things. So again, tactical empathy. Uh, another thing the personal MBA expanded on is talks about loss aversion. Okay, so he's saying that historically, the threat of a loss used to require immediate attention because losses were costly and life-threatening. Dying or losing a loved one to a predator, sickness, exposure, or starvation is universally a horrible experience. So we're built to do everything in our power to prevent that from happening. So when people are afraid of loss, they are going to, they're not going to be in the area to communicate. So if you don't understand what someone's afraid to lose, you may not get anywhere with them. So empathizing is understanding like what are their insecurities? What are they afraid of? Um, are they afraid of a, a, a loss of face? That's a big one. People don't like looking stupid. That's just a simple one. And so sometimes, especially if people are in higher positions, sometimes you make it frustrated with them and kind of want to just tell them like it is. But if your goal is to, let's say your goal is to get certain information in a timely manner, calling them names or calling them out is probably the worst way to do that. There are better ways to get that information you need without pushing them into feeling like, without pushing them and to feeling like they are losing respect or dignity. I mean, some you know, you'll hear like sometimes all people have left is pride and forcing them to say or speak or act a certain way will often push them to defend their pride. Now, if that's your goal, that's one thing, but I think many times, instead of engaging in a power struggle, again, we should focus on pro solving the problem not trying to force a person to see things the way we want them to see them. Sometimes they come around and sometimes they don't, but a power struggle usually is not the best way to get someone to see your side. Okay, so after you label a barrier or a mirror statement, let it sink in. Don't worry about the other 
don't worry, the other party will fill the silence. So if you've ever done any kind of outreach or calling, they teach you to wait for a response. Count to three before you say something. Sometimes people are just thinking and processing. And I find this really hard because silence can be so awkward. It just can be, and it can make me uncomfortable. But I have learned that if I at least count to three, if someone has something else to say, they will say it. So this is a good practice for everyday life. Count to three. When someone, when you ask them a question or when you're looking for a response, you know, he says after labeling a barrier. So you might say like, hey, you must think that I'm taking advantage of you with this deal. Like you don't think it's fair. You know, how can I, how can I put you at ease? And then instead of launching into all the reasons why you think your deal is fair or why you think you're right, just wait and be quiet. Fill the silence. Like I think he says earlier, bite your tongue when someone reacts, you know, very angry, but also when they just need to think or when they just need to process, just give them the space to do that. And most people will fill the silence and they will respond and that will actually give you more information than if you had just kept talking. Um, so I want to just wrap it up and I want to just say that when it comes to empathy, remember that you're dealing with people who want to be appreciated and understood. So use labels to reinforce and encourage positive perceptions and dynamics. Um, that's again, a quote from the book. So if you don't remember a lot of the things I reviewed today, um, just remember that everyone wants to be understood and heard. And empathy is getting context to invite others to use their creativity to problem solve. So you're just seeking to understand first before you can be understood. And in that, there's so much power. Um, and again, I'm not talking about being manipulative. I'm not talking about lying or, you know, convincing people to get things they don't need. I'm talking about the fact that many times you need other people to collaborate to achieve success. If you're in a home, you need your partner, like you need your husband or wife, you need your kids, like you need your brother, whoever lives with you, like you need to work together to get things done. And if you want to do it the combative way, I feel like everybody probably has done this. You can go for the yelling. You can go for the accusations. You can go for the, you know, manipulative, manipulative tricks, or you can use negotiation. You can be honest. You can seek to hear them out, seek to work with them. And maybe in that you find a more peaceful way to reach resolution. You know, that's all I have. Um, I know this wasn't as succinct a list. So maybe I'll go over them one more time real quick so that in case you don't have time to re-listen. Um, so let's see. Practically, here's how we can practically listen and ask questions or empathize and invite a spirit of creativity. And I have to hurry up because tonight's crying. <laughs> She's ready to get up. So the first one, don't try and force your opponent to admit that you're right. Avoid questions that can be answered with yes or little pieces of information. Invite someone to reciprocate with good questions. Ask calibrated questions. Don't ask questions that start with why. 
calibrate your questions to point your counterpoint towards solving your problem, bite your tongue when you're attacked in a negotiation, pause and avoid angry emotional reactions. Instead, ask a calibrated question. Solve problems, not people. There's always a team on the other side. There's always something going on in people's lives and it may not have to do with you. Remember that. Um, imagine yourself in someone else's shoes and understand that the reason someone's not willing to come to an agreement is often more powerful than why they will come to an agreement. So listen to them, focus on what it, what it is they have to lose and name it talk about it that's what you get to know first like you, you really just have to read the book <laughs> anyway yeah so get to get to why people don't want to make a deal or in the case of empathizing understand what people don't want to lose you know um then we have pause after you talk about what they don't want to lose pause and let them fill the silence um, label their fears, list the worst things that could happen, and work with them through those conflicts. Finally, remember you're dealing with somebody who wants to be appreciated and understood. So that was kind of the run through. Again, that was Never Split the Difference. Highly recommend the book. I also am currently reading The Personal MBA. Um, next time, we're going to dive into some of the next steps of design thinking. Thank you for listening. Um, remember, this series is about how we can use these steps designers use to solve problems to work in our lives. We started with empathy. We talked about how we need to have empathy for ourselves or self-compassion. And then today we talked about conflict resolution with other people, using empathy when it's hardest to use it, right? So I hope this was helpful. Um, Again, I think it would be even more helpful if you read Never Split the Difference for yourself or read the personal MBA for yourself. And if you have ideas on conflict resolution, empathy, tactical empathy, or any ideas about negotiation you want to share, please visit bethanyjphotography.com, click contact and let me know. Better yet, join the newsletter and you can actually submit questions and ideas for the podcast. Um, I would love to hear from you. Thanks for joining me. Um, we're going to keep practicing. Listen to this podcast on Spotify or Apple by searching The Creativity Cure. Tell your friends about it. And um, you know what? Like, hmm. tell your friends about this podcast. Share with them something that helps you. And let's all invite each other into the, the creative mode. Like, let's all invite each other to start solving problems so that we can create some amazing things together. Thanks for joining me today. I am Bethany Joy, and this is the Creativity Cure Podcast. See you next week, or actually see you in <laughs> two weeks. Bye.